I had to talk about Ant-Man in therapy. Hello, and welcome to the Zero Stars Podcast, a podcast about video games. Well, one video game. I've got got two. Oh, wow. And Marvel movies. My name is Bob. My name is Matt. And we're going to talk about Marvel movies and the video game Death Stranding, maybe in a balance that is uncommon for more recent episodes of this podcast. Okay, so just for those at home, the movie Ant-Man... 2015, I think. Yes, I think that's accurate. Uh, Directed by Peyton something. Reed? Reed. Yeah, he's doing the next two Ant-Man movies as well. The idea that they're making two more Ant-Man movies. Yikes. Um, I'm I'm not going to beat around the (laughs) anthill here. Uh, It has been two weeks since we watched this film. Yeah. Normally, we watch the movie and... We actually are pretty fired up to record. We're excited. We're like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, in this case, I have had no desire to talk about this movie. I did not enjoy this movie. I thought this movie was really bad. I, It's not Hulk bad. I don't want to spoil anything. But, but it's, like, Hulk bad is almost enjoyably bad. This movie is incredibly boring. Yeah, I, I, as we will talk about, did not particularly enjoy this movie. Um, so let's just blast through this recap so that the people at home can... Uh, experience the winter of our discontent. All right. This starts in 1989. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go through this quick. Michael Douglas plays Hank Pym, uh, who's like a scientist man. A digitally DH science man. Yeah, he was working with S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and then he, in the first scene, like comes into S.H.I.E.L.D.'s weird offices where they like all the heads of S.H.I.E.L.D. just hang out, including Tony's dad. Tony's dad, who is now again played... By but, Roger Sterling. Yes. But there was a time when but, he wasn't played by Roger Sterling? It's, he They switch off every few yeah. movies who plays his dad, which is like they have all this de-aging technology yes. and they can't just use that. <laughs> they just can't figure out, like they can't just like up-age Robert the, Downey Jr. who's on retainer. I don't know. It's or, or like the other guy who plays who, who plays him in like the 1950s. Yeah. But anyway, 1989, Roger Sterling, Tony's dad, is there. Um, anyway, Hank Pym, the scientist, storms in and he's like, you you guys are trying to replicate my Ant-Man technology, and I don't not, like I, it. I don't think he says exactly that, because we will later, the Ant-Man part comes in later, but yeah, he's like, you guys don't know what you're playing with. Yeah, and then he punches somebody. Yeah, he punches a dude who's like, you don't understand Pym, yeah. and the punch, and uh, what's her name? Uh, Cap's main squeeze is there. Yeah, from because this is 1989, so she's probably in her old. 60s. <laughs> she's <laughs> in her olds. She, she's entering her olds, um, but no, not yet Alzheimer, I, I assume. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's a scene. <laughs> it's <laughs> a scene. I don't even. I don't, do we get the title card then, I, or is we, this one I, of those may, artsy movies we, that saves it for the end? We might get a title card then. I'll say that this is probably my favorite part of the movie because life is bright and full of possibility and i'm like you know what for de-aging technology this was pretty good my favorite part of the movie is the very end of the movie <laughs> for various reasons that we'll get to um okay but so, then we we flash to the to the present present yeah. day and paul rudd is in prison yes 
Do you remember why he's in prison? He's in prison for reasons we learn later. But like, what did he actually do? He broke in, he like hacked a thing to steal from the rich and give it to the poor or something. Okay. Right? He's like, well, no, he didn't hack in because he's know. like a cat burglar. He's, an, he's like an engineer. And a cat And a cat burglar. burglar. <laughs> yeah. He's all and these things. He's, the thing about this movie is that he shows up and you go, oh, Paul Rudd. I love Paul Rudd. Yes, I'm a human never, being with a pulse. I, I love Paul Rudd. I've never disliked Paul Rudd in anything I've seen him in. And yet, this movie will find a way for me to be completely indifferent to Paul Rudd. Yeah. And maybe kind of dislike I him. I dislike him. Yeah. It, it actually is really... It's reframed Paul Rudd for me in so many ways. So anyway, yeah. Paul Rudd gets out of jail. Um, he's picked up by his friend Michael Pena, who is one of the best parts of this scene movie. Scene stealing, Michael really Pena. scene stealing throughout. Um, he's picked up by Michael Pena. Uh, he tries to get a job at Baskin Robbins. It doesn't go so well. Great product placement though for Baskin Robbins. Very good. Baskin Robbins makes clear that it will not hire ex-cons in this movie. Yes, and <laughs> if they find out you're an ex-con, it is over for you, you can and go your to Baskin the men's Robbins warehouse. <laughs> They'll give you a job, but not here. The ice cream can't be served by somebody who's a criminal. <laughs> Dirty hands. Um, um, in any case, <laughs> he then tries to the go... The blood on your hands <laughs> will taint this ice cream. <laughs> he tries to go to his daughter's birthday party, but um, his wife is his ex-wife is now dating or married to Bobby Cannavale, I who is a cop. Dating, yeah, and he is a cop. He is a cop, and he and so Paul Rudd loves his daughter. It's yes. her birthday, but he's been out of the picture because he was in jail and is a bad man, and not even paying, fit to serve ice cream, and hasn't been paying child support because you can't do that in jail. But this is something that they seem to take issue with, nonetheless. I think you could theoretically do that from jail though right like i mean, I mean you have you're an making like seven cents well, a day stamping money. license we plates. assume he had money outside of jail i mean he was living a life we don't know i assume that that money was taken away anyways he's kind of a bad dad but also he's paul rudd so we're supposed to just be like he's kind of a good dad too because yeah, he's just a good guy and he's yeah he shows this, up i mean his entire character motivation is that he loves his daughter which is just the laziest. He just like, wants his kids back. Yeah, <laughs> he really is. But clearly, his kids are much better off with Bobby Cannavale. Well, I and, don't know about that. Well, I mean, until supervillains start coming in, which we will get. Otherwise, to. like until then, he, they're much clearly much better off. Yeah, though she loves him. Daughter loves the him. daughter loves him, and the wife is just a little exasperated. Yeah. Uh. Uh, meanwhile, um, Pim is now old. Michael Douglas has aged rapidly. And he's estranged from his own daughter, whose name is Hope. I see some; these are some themes that were being that are being established oh, right here: point. fathers yeah. and daughters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, she works at Pym Technologies, uh, and Hank Pym has been forced out and, by yeah. seemingly by both her and his former protege, whose name is Darren Cross, who is played by and he is double cross, <laughs> Mister Pym, uh, and he is played by the dude that gets murdered in uh, in house of cards yes the it, bald guy that was in house of cards and then in everything briefly immediately afterwards and what has he been in anything else lately i think he's in things from now and again he's good he's a good actor i, I like disagree him. having seen this movie in which oh, he, he's bad and everybody's bad in this all though. of the direction given to this man seems to have been can you be more evil i mean he's it's hard to tell if he knows he's playing a cartoon character or or what's going on? The, like, it is, <laughs> the degree has, of villainous 
this that is just leeching out of this man is so intense. It's Saturday morning cartoon level, but somehow not in a fun way. Without the subtlety. Yes. <laughs> it is it's not fun. It is just like he doesn't light he doesn't light up the screen when he's there. No, he darkens it with how evil he is. Uh, uh, and anyway, he's super evil because he's he's taken over and he's trying to replicate Hank's shrinking suit, which he's then going to sell to the highest bidder. So, okay. It's like at some point we get this weird flashback video that's kind of like Pym Technologies at one point maybe had the ability to shrink someone, but... This is sort of unknown, but like during the Vietnam War or something, there was, there was a tiny <laughs> ant thing that was beating <laughs> a up tiny Viet Cong. man who like blew up helicopters, and it's never been clear who that was. It was Harold Pym, but it's not clear who that was. And at some point, Pym Technologies like stopped having that. I don't know what they've been doing in the meantime. Like, they, making... I mean, they're a competitor with Tony Stark. I well, assume. that's the Stark weird thing too. But they just don't talk about Stark Industries because we've all, we've only known about Hammer. Yeah, you know, as like the other arms manufacturer. But you know, it's all shadowy black money. The government pays for what it pays for. Anyway, what a critique. <laughs> I, it's it's deep. It's in there. Um, so this is a political thriller. Yeah, and now this <laughs> the dude that gets killed in House of Cards. What what are we? What's his name? It's Cross. Darren Cross. Darren Cross, uh, is like I will recreate the shrinking thing and I will put it into this suit. And he gives a pitch to investors that's like I can already do it. <laughs> and he shows them the suit, and they're all like, "That's really cool. I can't wait to murder people with it." And he's like, "You will." <laughs> and Hank Pym is like, "You can't do this. You why, don't don't open this Pandora's box." And he's like, "I will open the box." Pim, and then uh, <laughs> it's my box now, Pim. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but it, what we realize is actually he can't open the box because he cannot make the shrink way ray shrink ray work on living subjects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he tries so, on a bunch of sheep. Well, we'll get to that, but he yeah. he liquefies some sheep. That's how we know he's a bad dude. Meanwhile. Michael Pena is trying to get Paul Rudd to come back in for one last job. <laughs> yes, because now he, Michael Pena, who is living with two other sketchy characters, uh, now is also living with Paul Rudd, who has lost his job at Baskin Robbins. And he needs to make money to pay child support so he can see his daughter. So he's like, all right, I'm in for this one last job. And in this montage sequence, this is pretty amusing, we find out how Michael Pena heard about this house in San Francisco where this all takes place that supposedly has like a real great hall somewhere in the basement behind a like old vault. That is hall H-A-U-L. Yes. uh, In that there is something very valuable in this house in a big safe and we got to get Paul Rudd, the world's best cat burglar, I guess, to cat burgle this place. So they, they cat burgle the place and Paul Rudd breaks into the safe using science to demonstrate that he is a smart man. It, as are all of the Marvel heroes, he yes. is a very smart white man. He is a, <laughs> Although yeah. we do, he's a nerd. He's a white, smart nerd he's a who's white nerd. also built. Yeah, he's pretty yoked. Not quite as yoked as some of the other dudes. No. Okay. So, he, <laughs> he, But inside the vault, he doesn't find a bunch of money. He finds a weird motorcycle suit. Yes, and he's like, this is a dumb motorcycle suit. But blah, he takes blah, blah. it anyway. Of course, because yeah. you got to take the thing. Yeah. He takes the motorcycle suit. Um, at this point, do we know that this is actually Pim's house? 
I think that it's implied because I think that we see that like Pim is watching this somehow. Like Pim has got like a camera oh. up or something. He's recorded that this has uh, happened. Yeah. So Pim is following this. He this is all planned by Pim. Um <laughs> planned by Pim. Uh inexplicably. It, well, I mean yeah, we don't know. He knows that Paul Rudd, I mean to flash forward a bit, he knows that Paul Rudd is Robin Hood and so the Robin Hood in that situation where he was stealing from the rich and giving to the poor using engineering hacking or cat against burbling. big pharma against I know, big you pharma. Have, uh, matt wrote up a a recap of this i assume from memory because it says big pharma a lot and i don't even know if that was part of this i'm just assuming that it was big pharma I'll who like, else would I'll he go after the fat cats on wall street um it could be either uh but paul Rudd decides to take the suit home and then try it on so i mean why, why would he try you? it on but why wouldn't you because it's a weird motorcycle suit that somebody else was wearing. I'd put it on. Anyways, anyway, that part makes sense to me. He puts it on in the bathtub. Why is he in the bathtub when he puts it on? He is in the bathroom where he feels safe. <laughs> um, <laughs> he gets in the bathtub and he puts it on. He presses a button and he shrinks real small. Yeah, he realizes that the suit lets him shrink. He's a tiny little man. And then we get a pretty impressive action sequence where uh, Michael Pena comes in and turns on the tub because he's like, it's time to shower. And you think like, ooh, it's about to get steamy in here. But instead, uh, Paul Rudd's like washed down the drain. And you realize that Paul Rudd can like jump real far and is kind of strong. But like, but I don't know. But he's basically scrambling to get away. And, yeah. And yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, then he gets big again because he presses the button. And he's like, oh, that's how that works. I don't want anything to do with this. And he tries to take the suit back to Michael Douglas, Hank Pym's house, and return it. Uh, cat burgling, burglaring. Un-burgling. Re, Un-burgling un <laughs> un his burgle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's trying to, he's going to retcon his burgle. Uh, but he gets caught by <laughs> his wife's boyfriend his ex-wife's boyfriend along the way the bobby cannavale the cop yeah cop cannavale <laughs> they cop bring him to jail they bring him to jail where they're like this isn't you can't do this you can't put things back after you steal them yeah it's still theft it's still theft. And he's, i was putting it back and you're like yeah. i see why you cast paul rudd here but there's just no charm to it for some reason like they never let paul rudd just like be charming it's, it's clear that paul rudd is always reading from a script in a way that bugs I don't know, me. man. It's just like not a bad there. script. It's just not there. Hank Pym, anyway, smuggles the suit back into Paul Rudd, who's in the jail cell, and he uses it to escape, flying away on a flying ant. And uh, that's when he is like brought to Pym's place. And Pym and Pym's his, place Pym's is my place. favorite public access show. Pym's plan at Pym's place. Um, and it turns out that Pym's daughter, Hope, is not actually as estranged as we thought. She's actually been spying on Darren Cross this entire time. She's like, he's really close to mastering the shrink ray. He wants and he's to make going the to shrink ray. Build the yellow jacket suit, which is like the, the his version of the Ant Man suit. The, yeah, the thing that he showed the government dudes and was yeah. like, one of those government dudes, incidentally, is the guy that Michael Douglas punched at the beginning of the movie because he was like, I want to use the suit for ill. And yeah. Michael Douglas was like, no, I am the arbiter of morality in this world and I use the suit for good, punches him. I mean, spoiler, I believe that that guy is from Hydra. He was he had yeah, infiltrated definitely. Hydra back in 89 and is still with Hydra, um, but now openly so because this is Trump's America and you can openly be with Hydra and that's okay. 
Yep. Uh, so anyway, this is Pim is like, you seem like a good guy, Paul Rudd. Well, and, and beyond I that, want there's to... this weird thing where Pim is like, I picked you, yes, because of your Robin Hooding to be my Ant Man, <laughs> and I somehow planted the story with Michael Pena in hopes that you would steal the suit and I guess also maybe return like all of this stuff so that I would get you to be my Ant-Man and his daughter keeps being like I have been training in the suit since I was a child please let me, let me be, be in the suit and he's like be the no <laughs> Paul Rudd will be the Ant-Man like it's and we we learn why but it's, wait why because oh, because yeah. Let's flash forward. It turns out we find this out shortly after. Well, yeah, we, you can't just. Like, I'm just run. so eager to get through this. We will. We will. <laughs> we will get through it. Okay. But training we're gonna montage. get through it together. Yes. Now Paul Rudd's like, I guess I will be the Ant Man, and we get this training montage. It seems to last forever. Well, it's just not. It's so poorly put together. There are so many like continuity errors throughout it, including just like changing clothes from shot to it shot. It is so evident that they shot the entirety of the stuff that happens in Michael Douglas's house throughout this movie in two days with two costume changes. Yes. And, and then they mixed up the costume changes on several occasions, <laughs> and they were just like, no one will notice. And this time is, has passed. And this <laughs> is fucking Ant-Man. <laughs> yes. This is Ant-Man. Yeah. Uh and uh, so they teach him to like jump through tiny holes and teach him how to like command the ants because you wear this weird little headset piece when you're the ant man and that lets you commune with the ants and so you can tell the ants what to do. Um, and meanwhile, intercut with this, I think we're seeing his uh, hope. The daughter trains him in how to fight because she is much better at fighting. She's a good fighter. Yeah, yeah. She's better at everything than she he is. She is better than everything. But and but, and we as the audience are like, why don't you let her wear the ant suit and become Aunt Man? Yes. Yes. Meanwhile, that's what you would call the female Ant Man. Yeah, yeah. If you were pronouncing it correctly with the yeah, U, with the U. Um. The. <laughs> Meanwhile, the bad dude, Cross, is at Pym Labs, and he's still trying to shrink living things, and he's doing taking these sheep and putting them on a table and shooting them with the rays, and they are just getting, like, liquefied. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of gross. It's Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that they killed a sheep. They yeah no they they actually did that. Yeah. You can't, you can't fake that. It's like Apocalypse Now. People see it, and they know... When it's real, yeah, you know, so you, I know that was real. Yeah, you got to jelly a sheep. Yeah. You you can't make a movie without jellying a few sheep. <laughs> um. So okay. So let's talk about why it is that Hope can't be Ant Man. Yes. Would Would you like to talk about it? Sure. Uh, during short shortly before 1989, when uh, Hank Pym decided to break from Shield and hide his Ant Man technology. He and his wife, who was also an ant person, uh, the wasp, right? Okay, that was her, the wasp. Then I think Ant Man and the Wasp. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that she sounds was the right. Wasp. Um, Ant Man and the Wasp. Uh, Pim is as Ant Man, and his wife is the Wasp. Uh, basically, I don't know how, but they they managed to get on a Soviet nuclear missile that was headed to the U.S. They were they were protecting the United States, and then during so, the Cold War, yes, and then the Soviets. Nobody knows this, but the Soviets launched a nuke, and it was going to blow up the United States. And 
they got onto it, but they couldn't get into the nuke without, they couldn't get small enough to get into the nuke and disable it. So she had to go subatomic. And because like there is this like safety on the suit that prevents you from going too small. Because if you go too small, you will float through the, the ether. quantum the quantum realm. <laughs> you enter the quantum realm. The atoms forever. And time like your sense of time changes, etc. Like this line read by Michael Douglas, I'm like, give him the Oscar. <laughs> because he delivers this line where he's like, She went subatomic. <laughs> With the exact same gravity that you would deliver like actual lines in a war movie about somebody's death. And it is for a movie that is so dumb, this movie is like completely and like that has Paul Rudd in it. Mm-hmm. It's remarkably like humorless in its treatment of the actual yes. suit, right? Like the it, absurdity of this is a man accepts, who controls ants. Yeah, it just accepts all of that. And so and I kind of I get why they went that angle with it, whether or not that's the right decision, I don't know, but I see why they did it. And this line read just sums it up perfectly because Michael Douglas is just feeling the deepest feelings about his wife going subatomic. He's acting. <laughs> yeah, he is. Um and so his fear is that his daughter will also go subatomic and all of the women in his life will leave him by going subatomic and being qu- caught in the quantum realm. So this is this is his reasoning for not allowing Hope to become Ant-Man or the Wasp or whatever. Um, it also notably gives us our subatomic Chekhov's gun because we know that this is going to come back at some yeah, point. Yeah, Paul Rudd is going subatomic. Is, we know that Paul Rudd is going to go subatomic. Yeah. Um, subatomic. I think at this point, Paul Rudd has been properly trained. We have no idea how much time has passed. I assume it's been like three years. <laughs> It takes a while to train his Paul Rudd. daughter is going to college. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not that's not true. Um, so uh, at this point, they need to get something. Yeah, they need. There's some sciency thing that they need in order to complete um, the Ant Man costume, which for some reason isn't what it, totally completed. What do completed. they need to do? Oh, they need to get something in so, so that they can break into yes. into Pym Laboratories. Because they want to yeah. break into the lab and steal the suit. Steal steal the suit that Darren Cross is making so and destroy the servers yeah. so that he won't have access to the information and he won't have the suit. So, but in order to do this, they need some sort of an item that they can only get from the Avengers HQ. Which is out in the boonies. I mean, it's literally across, across the U.S. from... But it's like out in the woods now. It's not. It's yeah, not. It's, at, it's like in upstate New York or something. It's not in. Um, or in Jersey. In uh, Tony Stark's tower. No. Anymore. It's just like out in this woodland yeah. place. As where, we saw at the end of Age of Ultron, yeah, yeah. they built a new one. So uh, Pym gets out there, presumably flying on an ant the whole way. Pym does not get out there. Paul oh, sorry, Rudd gets Paul out Rudd there. Gets he out flies there. the ant. He yeah. has an ant that he names Anthony. 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 I think no, he says Anthony. 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 Like Queer Eye. I think it's Anthony. It's Anthony. Agree to disagree. <laughs> I don't want to make an anthill out of this ant. Uh, <laughs> mountain out of this anthill? I don't mountain. know. We can work on mole this. Mole hill out of this anthill. Uh, I guess a mole hill would be larger than an anthill. This is a movie. Uh, anyway, he goes out to wherever Avengers HQ is and he tries to steal the thing but Birdman Sam is there Birdman Sam he's got special glasses that allow him to see tiny things well he's always had those Oakleys and it turns out that they have special powers so he's got his wraparound shades and Birdman Sam Falcon 
the dumbest character in the Marvel universe. Or until, so, and, so we thought. <laughs> yeah. So it's weird because like, okay, when Falcon is in Captain America, you're like, this is so dumb, mm-hmm. right? When he shows up in Ant-Man, you're like, this is the most legitimate thing I've ever seen in my life. Like somehow he he makes Ant-Man look dumb. <laughs> His charisma is off the charts. Oh, yeah. That's part of it. Is that just like, like uh, Anthony Mackie? <laughs> Tony Mackie is so likable. He is. And like goofy. Well, and it, this it's a very strange thing though because like th- we're introduced to this dude in a Captain America movie, which is like yeah. the most grounded of these movies. And then when he's in this movie, in, in that movie he doesn't make sense. Like in Captain America, yes. you're like <laughs> this man has wings? Yeah. But in this movie you're like, "Oh, dude with wings? Sure." I accept that. This guy's talking to ants. But also, he seems to know that he is in a, like, cartoon, whereas Paul Rudd plays it so straight. It's weird. Throughout, that it's like, Paul Rudd has no idea that he's in a comedy. I can't... Well, I feel like they didn't direct it like it's a comedy. No, I don't think that they did. I think that's part of the issue. They... It's... It's just not fun. Um, so anyways, anyway, they yeah. fight a bunch. They fight a bunch. Paul Rudd's big. Paul Rudd's small. Paul Rudd's big. Paul Rudd's small. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Mackie's got a, his wing backpack. At one point, Paul Rudd goes tiny, not subatomic, but pretty small, and like rips the back off of this thing. Anthony Mackie can't fly. Uh, Birdman Sam is grounded, and Paul Rudd escapes with the item he wanted. Mm-hmm. Now we can finally do the heist. Yeah, and like it's funny because so this movie bills itself as a heist movie, right? Everybody always says the like same this way, is the heist yeah, movie. Yeah, the same way that Winter Soldier it's is a political, a political thriller. thriller. <laughs> but like that movie has a more legitimate claim to being a political thriller than I this does to a heist movie. I could not disagree more. Because well the problem I could with not, this the movie has no politics. You can't be a political thriller if you don't have politics. I know this is your it that is. old song. But <laughs> what I'm saying is that this movie Ant-Man's powers are so ridiculous that, like, there's no heist to it if I can just get tiny, like, almost infinitely small and go anywhere. Like, you don't need... The point of the heist is that you have to go, how will I put these normal-sized people in the places they need to go to steal something? Whereas this is just, like, I can become basically infinitely small. I basically can't be killed. I can become large and small, and anything I'm touching becomes small with me. Like, all of these things make it so that the the tension of the heist is but no man could get into that place and it's like but well now point, you're not a dude the so point you though can. is that what if you're what if the place is also like secured because they know that you can shrink to be a tiny ant man uh, the thing that's dumb about it is that he doesn't really they they find all these excuses to have like his friends be involved so that you have like yeah. the ensemble is helping with the heist but really no one's doing anything the other, other than the other 10 in the Ocean's 11. Yes. Like it's really only Ant-Man that's doing anything. Um and the ants, the ants actually do quite a bit. The ants the ants are the stars of the show. Really? They are the most charming part. Definitely. <laughs> I find. Definitely. Um but we'll get to one of the major emotional beats very soon. Anyway, Paul Rudd like breaks in. He sets up bombs. He uh, manages to like take out the servers because they're just gonna blow uh, Pym Industries up because they want to just destroy everything so that no one can ever make the Ant Man suit again after they steal this Yellow Jacket suit. Oh, and we should also point out that in the meantime, uh, the 
Cross has figured out how to shrink living tissue. Yes, he has successfully done it. So uh, he can shrink living tissue. He's also hosting this big gala to bring in a bunch of people trying to sell them the yellow jacket suit. And a bunch of dudes from Hydra are there. And there's a great line. I can't, maybe you can remember it, but like Cross has like this great line about like, you know, they're kind of different now. Yeah, they're, like, they're not as they're bad, not, they're as, not they as, bad as they used to be. be. They're kind of reformed. Yeah, they're like cool Nazis now. Yeah. Uh, which, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So then... Uh, anyway, we think that Ant-Man is going to get away with it, but then it turns out that Cross anticipated this because you, when you double-cross Darren Cross, it makes him cross. And so... <laughs> And so he captures Ant-Man, he captures uh, Hank Pym, and he captures Hope Pym. Yeah, he puts Ant-Man into this like glass sphere where he was keeping the suit, like his the yellow jacket tiny suit, suit yeah. previously. So now Ant-Man is in this little glass cage. He's trapped in a glass cage of emotion. And I forgot that we were supposed to mention earlier that Ant-Man also has these like discs that he can throw at things that yeah. like impart the Ant-Man powers onto those things. I totally so he can make things that. large or small. Um, by throwing these items. Uh, so there's a fight, and so this is how like Paul Rudd is able to throw one of these magic discs at the wall of the glass prison, and it expands, and he jumps out of it, and now yeah. he's Ant-Man. Meanwhile, I think Hope actually like takes out 10 Hydra agents on her own, like Krav Maga. She fights dudes. I think uh, Hank Pym gets shot in the shoulder. He does. Michael Douglas gets shot. Yeah. And now the bad dude is running away. Cross is now the wa- yellow. He hasn't jacket. put it on yet. He's the yellow jacket. He hasn't put it on yet. Are you sure? Yes, he runs away to a helicopter, and Paul Rudd pursues while riding Antony. And in one of the dumbest moments in the movie, that is meant to be an emotional beat. I like it. The <laughs> Darren Cross is firing a gun at tiny ant size. A Paul lot of Rudd people shoot guns at the ants. At the ants. <laughs> but Including one of Birdman these bullets. Sam. But Anthony flies into one of these he bullets does. as though trying to end it for himself because he does not want to be in this movie anymore. And Paul Rudd is devastated because his main aunt friend Anthony. I don't know how he could tell the difference between all of them, but Anthony has been murdered. So Paul Rudd is now personal for Paul Rudd. Uh, so he makes it onto the helicopter, and like at some point, Darren Cross puts on this his yellow jacket suit, and they both shrink down. They're fighting in the helicopter. They get trapped in that briefcase. They get Do you trapped in that? a briefcase. This is one well, of so the wait, coolest moments in the movie. At this point, Cross is wearing the suit. Yes. Yeah. And he so- puts on the suit. And it's like it's like the Ant Man suit, but also is like a laser beam that it, it has can shoot. laser guns on yeah. its shoulders. And so and then he and Ant Man are fighting, and they get this whole sequence, like the end action sequence, is actually the best portion of the movie, I think, because it does do a lot of fun things with scale. It suddenly, yeah, it, they saved everything for this. I wonder if it was a budget thing that they were like, we can only do so yeah. many of this, so let's like that really... early action sequence is actually pretty cool as well. When he I first right. puts on the suit, you know, it's like yeah. anything where he's like tiny man is fun. And the, the train training montages are just like him underground with ants. Yeah, not as yeah, good. not as fun. But in this, yeah, they get trapped in a briefcase, and the briefcase is getting thrown around, and so like there's all the items in the briefcase, and they're fighting, and they're and, tiny. Yeah, the briefcase literally falls out of the helicopter and lands in a pool somewhere yeah and then they like jump out and they're big and somehow darren cross as yellow jacket gets away and i can't remember how i don't remember why and i don't remember why he does this but he goes to uh paul, paul rudd's Rudd. daughter where, where paul rudd's wife lives and uh he goes there to take paul rudd's daughter hostage and i have no idea why he 
recognizes that he should do that. Like, I don't know, I don't recall, and it has been quite a while since we watched this movie, but I don't remember why he knows that he should go after Paul Rudd's daughter. Yeah, or or what he's even trying to get out of it. He's trying to kill Paul Rudd. Anyway, he goes and he, he takes Paul Rudd's daughter hostage. Paul Rudd shows up and Bobby Cannavale, the cop. Also, the dude who plays Avon Barksdale in The Wire yep. is Bobby Cannavale's like, partner, partner yeah. and gets maybe like no lines, but makes a lot of like facial expressions. Like, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> this is all pretty zany. Yeah. Um, so they then have a fight in his daughter's... in. Paul Rudd's daughter's room, yes. which is also awesome because it's on a model train set. Which is actually, the thing that didn't occur to me until later is that it's actually really cool that like a young girl is shown to be into trains. Sure, yeah. That's, trains are cool. Yeah, I, they're very cool. For model everyone. trains are very interesting. Yeah, they are. Yeah, but like, I just thought that that was a surprisingly progressive little touch <laughs> for Disney. <laughs> it was fun. And it's fun because it's another case of we get to have a classic like people fighting on top of a train action sequence yes. but it's all very small and we do these great little wide shots of the train where you kind of can't see what's far happening. away <laughs> yeah yes those are brilliant it's it's such a good oh it's like, so and good it comes in the last 10 minutes of the movie uh-huh but yeah no they're great and also like yeah fighting on top of thomas the tank engine is really great pretty funny yeah so they continue to fight at one point paul rudd throws one of his like grow discs at the train this causes Thomas the Tank Engine to become a full-size train and just blast out the side of this house. That's great. Um, and then they are fighting. Now they are full-size. And Paul Rudd realizes that to get into this dude's backpack, this is no normal Birdman Sam backpack. No, this is this is a, a really tight backpack. <laughs> yeah, so to get in there, he's going to have to go subatomic. So he goes subatomic. He is like... He destroys the backpack, so... Uh, Darren Cross, I think, like implodes or yeah, something. Yeah, he like gets sucked into himself. Yeah, um, but Paul Rudd is now lost in the quantum realm. He yeah, he's floating smaller and, smaller. and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And why? How does he get out of it? I don't remember how he gets out of it. <laughs> As noted in my notes, I have no recollection how he gets out of it. He like inserts some sort of juice into the. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, he's got like you know the red the red vials. And he like uses one of those. But I don't remember how he does it. I don't remember either. It's 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 fuzzy. It's fuzzy science. So all I, of this, it will shock you to know, all of this is somewhat fuzzy science. So okay, Paul Rudd figures out some way to escape the quantum realm. He's a big dude again, and Bobby Cannavale is like, I guess you're okay, okay. brother. <laughs> he wipes the slate the slate clean. He's able. Yeah, he's now like friends with Bobby Cannavale. That was one of the best parts was that they're actually like become buddies. Well, yeah, because he murdered the dude who ruined Bobby Cannavale's house. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's. that's how you become friends with your daughter's stepdad. <laughs> you, you become friends with the homewrecker. <laughs> you implode. You implode the guy that really wrecked the home. The real homewrecker here is Yellow Jacket, Darren Cross. Yeah. And then that's kind of it. No, there's that ending sequence yes. where we get a callback to the opening sequence where Michael Pena narrates how he found out 
about, about a heist about a heist and there's like this new situation where he's found out about something else and he's explaining it in this these, these great sequences where you flash back and you have all these people talking and you see like all the people talking and the way that the information yep. makes its way to Michael Pena but everybody is voiced by Michael Pena. Yeah, it is pretty good. <laughs> it is very good. And then um Michael Pena again steals the scene. We get a mid-credit sequence which is really just a continuation of the movie yes. where Michael Douglas takes his daughter Hope and says, "Hope, actually I guess going subatomic isn't so bad. I have secretly been building you a suit." Uh and shows her the wasp suit, and we're like, I guess they're gonna make another one of these. And they won't Here have to put Paul Rudd in again. It. Paul Rudd is off the hook. I wish. Uh, in any case, then there's a, a post-credit sequence. Well, okay, so I think we should have a quick conversation about our feeling on the movie, and we should rank it, and then we should talk post-credit. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, so right. what do so, you think of this movie, Matt? <laughs> I don't like this movie. I think this movie is, in some ways. In some ways, I think this movie is a little bit worse than The Incredible Hulk, uh, just from an intent- entertainment standpoint, because at least The Incredible Hulk is kind of amusingly bad. Uh, there's all there's a lot of good homoerotic themes that don't seem to you know that the director didn't seem to be aware were in The Incredible Hulk mm-hmm. that I I got a kick out of. Uh, Ant Man is just like audaciously boring. So I appreciate. There's a strange disconnect in this movie where number one this movie feels like a very old superhero movie Mm -hmm. like this movie does not feel like a post iron man superhero movie to me at all it feels like something that would have you know not been necessarily competitive but would have been equivalent to a spider-man with toby Maguire era superhero movie but not as good no no i'm not i'm not saying it's as good But yes it seems as though it comes from like the lack of self-awareness that is in the marvel the mcu movies that makes them tolerable in many ways good In, in good sometimes good yeah um but at the very least like even in the worst makes them kind of tolerable yeah uh like thor is a good example of that definitely i think that this movie seems to lack that entirely it's played so straight it just feels and it feels very strange in the context of the other marvel movies because he he is so weirdly powerful in a way where i didn't understand like you know this is obviously a spoiler for later stuff but like the idea that he could fly inside thanos and blow up and it would kill him, right? Oh, you're talking about the Thanos ass right, theory. Right, the theory that everyone had, that I, just existing on the internet, you saw yeah. that this idea that like Endgame could be solved by this dude flying inside of that large purple man <laughs> and exploding. Yeah. Um, it would si- sacrifice Ant-Man, perhaps, but... Maybe. But for the greater good. Right, like, it, it does actually introduce problematic things like that, where yeah. you're like, this dude is in some strange way, the most powerful of the Avengers, which it well, doesn't seem right. There's a reason why this doesn't happen in the first um, of the final two Avengers movies. I don't know. I can't speak to the second one because I haven't seen it in uh-huh. game. But in any case, yeah. he's, he's, it just feels like it's from a different time, number one. Yes. The powers are wildly unbalanced. Yeah, and it just doesn't seem like tonally to fit into the overall world yeah. for me. This movie is like a wild mix of high ambition and low ambition because the action sequences at the end and when he is like going big and small and you're getting these wide shots of the train and it's like genuinely comedic yeah, are so fun and from a totally different movie, I feel like. Yes, I agree. 
and I really like them, and I want that movie to exist. Like, I think that there's a lot of joy to be had in that, but the surrounding stuff in this film is not up to that level and doesn't play into that the way I want. I also think you can only do that joke once. You can, and they do it, Yeah, but there's something about it. It feels like it fell out of something better. It feels like that whoever came up with that joke was not involved with the rest of the movie. I don't know. It's weird. I mean, the, this famous this is the famous Edgar Wright movie that he backed out of at some yeah. point because of artistic differences with Marvel. And who knows how much of like his? I think he's left on as a producer. He's a writer. He was a writer. He's credited he as has a writer a story too. Credit, I think. Okay. I mean, I'm not a huge Edgar Wright fan. No. But like, I'm not a huge Edgar Wright fan either. But I'll tell you, it what, would have been more interesting. That's for sure. This movie, I think, outside of those action sequences, really lacks personality for a movie about a dude who turns into an ant and you could say that for a lot of the marvel movies which is why i think that this is exceptionally egregious that it lacks personality yeah it feels so much like a cookie cutter like assembled by assembled by committee as opposed to somehow it's a movie about a dude who turns into an ant and commands them with his mind and it is somehow a cookie cutter feeling movie confusingly people really like this one and i listen that's fine. I like the action sequences. I don't hate this movie at all. I just, I think I might have also gone into this movie being like, I think I'm going to like this a lot because I love Paul Rudd and mm-hmm. like, I I want something dumb. And I thought it was going to be entertaining. Yeah. I like Paul Rudd too. And I like just, Michael Douglas. It just kind of wasn't yeah. popping. You know, it just kind of felt inert to me. I like Corey Stoll is the guy who plays Darren Cross. Mm-hmm. I like Corey Stoll. I like like the cast is good. Um, I'm a huge fan of Peyton Reed's other movies. Mm-hmm. I'm kidding. I don't know. Anything I don't know. I don't done. know what you're even saying. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it's just it just seems like such a missed opportunity within this universe. I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, and it yeah, it just wasn't fun for me in no, a way. I, I was actively bored throughout most of that's, it. That's I think that that's it. Is just that it was boring, and then there are action sequences where you're like, oh, this is a movie, yeah. and then it's boring again. And what's worse than bad for me, in my opinion, is boring. Okay. So let's get to these rankings. Why don't you read the existing rankings and then we will place it okay. exactly where it belongs. The current rankings are at one, we have Iron Man, the first Iron Man. At number two, we have Guardians of the Galaxy. At three, we have the first Avengers. At four, we have Captain America, Winter Soldier. At five, we have Iron Man 3. At six, we have Avengers Age of Ultron. At seven, we have Thor, the Dark World. At eight, we have Captain America, the first Avenger. At nine, we have Iron Man 2. And at 10, we have Thor. And then at 23, there is the Incredible Hulk. And now at number 11, yes. there is Ant-Man. Yes, I think that that is fair. Do you want me to read them again? Or can well, we just put you know it what, at though? 11? Actually, I like this movie more than Thor. Now that I'm thinking about it. Really? Definitely. I disagree hard. <laughs> well, but like Thor made me kind of sick to my stomach to watch because of the Dutch angles. And this did yeah. not do that to me. I mean, I agree that Dutch angles are bad. but And like, I like the action sequences in this more than Thor. I, I this this movie Thor at least has personality. I feel like the action sequences in this have personality. I think that that w- the one shot has personality. I think a few different. I mean, you know, they're in the. Briefcase. I like the briefcase, and I like yeah, but I still much prefer. I much prefer Thor. I, I yeah, I'm, I don't know if we're gonna get past this impasse. I definitely. I just want it said for the record. I think this is better than Thor, but who cares? Because they're both just gonna creep down to the bottom of this list. 
Who this knows? is the sediment, dude. This stuff is gonna. You're just. <laughs> there's an, there's another Ant Man movie, lest we forget. Oh yeah, there is. Yeah. But that one probably has a bigger budget, and then that might be the parts we think like the, of this. The, the issue with this movie was the budget. Though. If they could have just had it be an action sequence of them being big and small for an hour and a half, I think I would have enjoyed that more. I would have gotten bored of that too. I don't know. Anyways, I, if you I, want to put it at eleven, I won't fight yeah. you. <laughs> All right, it's at eleven. Uh, just to recap for everyone, <laughs> Iron Man: The First Iron Man. Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Iron Man 3, Avengers Age of Ultron, Thor the Dark World, Captain America, First Avenger, Iron Man 2, Thor, and then at 11, we have Ant-Man, the first Ant-Man, and then at number 23, we have the Incredible Hulk. And obviously, you totally followed that. Okay, so yeah. this movie has a post-credit sequence, as they all do, mm-hmm. uh, and in this one, we see Captain America, Birdman Sam. And, and they have Bucky. Remember, because at the end of Winter Soldier, they were going to go find Bucky. Yep. They found him. They found him, and he's like got his metal arm in a vice, which is how they have imprisoned him, which is kind of cool. Yeah, some smart and idea. also, it is funny because you this, cut to this, and you're like, oh, this looks like a real movie. Also, it is dank and yes. dirty, and it looks like it was filmed like in a basement uh-huh. of like a hostel in Eastern Europe. It looks, and you're you're immediately transported back to like, I liked Winter Soldier. That was a movie. Yeah. I mean, it's totally very different from what yes. you have just seen uh considering that what you have just seen didn't really have a consistent tone <laughs> no. this is still totally very different but uh so yeah they're so birdman sam and cap are talking and birdman sam is like we got to tell tony about this and captain america is like we can't tell tony about this because of the accords the someone accords says something about something? the accords they say that things were different a week ago there's a lot yeah. of reference to stuff that you're like i have no idea what you it's, were talking about it's not a great post credit no it's not other than the fact that you go oh my god it, I, captain it america's like, back yeah and like a real person <laughs> is behind this camera totally and it's just so like it's amazing because like birdman sam is there and you're like birdman sam was just in this movie i was watching and i don't know about that but oh good captain america's back oh god um yeah it just it feels it feels much better. Yeah, and I guess that leads into Civil War. It seems yeah. as though there is some sort of discord between Tony Stark and Captain America, which has been being seeded forever. Anthony Stark. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. Uh, this this movie kind of bummed me out a little. Yeah, I think... Yes, I would agree. It and bummed me out a little bit, too. I kind of I need the Russo bros to come in and fire me up again. The thing that bothers me is that after this one, we've got a long... Wait before we get to see another Russo Brothers. But that's movie. okay. If this one's like a real banger, and then yeah. there's you know there's other good stuff in there. I'm sure. Like there's you know, we get a Thor, we get Ragnarok, we get Ragnarok, we get a, we get a, a the Doctor Strange love. I, I kind of want to see that. <laughs> it's a Kubrick <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, man, there's something else in there too. Yeah, there is. I just can't think. Yeah, of. we'll see him. Yeah, we'll watch him. I'm excited. Uh, I'm ready. <laughs> let's let's do it. Oh, Spider Man, the first Spider Man. Oh, heck yeah! I, I'm I really excited see that for movie. that. Yeah, one. yeah, that'll yeah. be good. That'll be fun. All right. I like so, Spider Man a lot. He's Spider Man is always good. Black Panther. You're right. Yeah, you know, there's gonna be good movies. Yeah. Okay. I I'm like the Spider Man. I'm back in on Marvel movies. Yeah. Um. Okay, yeah. So, so let's talk about something that's not Marvel movies. That sounds okay. All right. Um. Can I tell you very quickly about one of the best multiplayer experiences I've had in my entire life? I would love nothing more. Okay, Thanksgiving evening, I was playing Apex, and um, I jump in, I'm like, it's 9.30, I go to bed at 10, I'm like, one match, and I match with these two guys who are both, like, dads, who have um, 
older brothers who have older kids than their kids. And they're you just learned commiserating a lot about these dudes. in the first match. I learned all this. Oh, they're wow. commiserating about how their their older siblings' kids kind of suck. Oh, and like how much better their own kids are. Did they than know like, each other before the match? They clearly were friends. Yes, okay. they knew each other. But um, they were just commiserating about this because it was like Thanksgiving, and they were like, "And now we can finally just like game for a while because <laughs> the kids are all asleep." <laughs> so like their their homes are full of their families, and they are up late playing Apex. And I am this silent person because I never play with a mic and I'm just listening to them and I ended up playing for two hours and 30 minutes with these guys whoa we played through we kept coming in second over and over and over again it was like we were just like one they were I mean they were talking I wasn't talking they would occasionally comment on the fact that like I am just this silent person (laughs) who's coming (laughs) along with them but more importantly they were just incredibly kind yeah they were just like very cool nice people you realize that there are just other people out there who are cool are just cool they just like just good game etiquette yeah and they didn't say anything mean they were never mean to anybody not even the people that we were fighting against like not a curse word um they were always (laughs) like giving advice it was just it was really sweet it was actually like really restorative and uh as someone who was not with my family on thanksgiving it actually made me feel very at home oh that's so beautiful (laughs) yeah it was really it was kind of moving did you ever win around no, we never went around. Oh. We consistently came in second like, for a while. Um, but we tactically began to understand. Like I knew that one of these guys loved using the uh, triple take. Mm-hmm. So I would tag a triple take whenever oh, I saw one. I love one. it. You're best friends. Yeah, we just are became. You, are you PlayStation friends now? Uh, I sent them friend requests, but they haven't. I don't oh, know if they've responded or not yet. It might be. Uh, but I would love to play with them again. If they're listening, write us, won't you? Podcast at zerostars.co. So tell me about what you have been playing, because you had an, a hiatus from video games I, for a while, yeah, I, and now you have dived back in. I've been playing Kojima's new game, Death Stranding, and good God, uh, that game is awesome. It is incredible. I So Death Stranding is the new video game from the guy what made the Metal Gears. Mm-hmm. It's and, his first non-Metal Gear game in a really long time, too. Yeah, since... Zone of the Enders or Boktai? Boktai, I think. Yeah. Um, Which was a Game Boy Advance or something? Yeah, and it was a game that you had to bring out into the sun. sun? It had had a solar panel on it. It's very Kojima. Yeah. So anyways, he has a new video game called Death Stranding. And to describe it is nearly impossible in its like narrative sense. A long time ago, we were when we were at E3, we covered this. And you made a comment that this game, based on the trailer, seemed to be a simulator of when your mom comes home with the groceries and you have to help carry them in. And you decide to take as much as possible in one go because you don't want to have to do multiple trips. Yeah. And you are straining and, and in your balance. hands imbalanced. And like you realize that your pinky is actually very strong somehow. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you can dangle like four bags from your pinky, but only one from your index finger. Totally, totally. Uh, and this game is 100% bringing the groceries in from mom's car. Yeah. So this, I mean, on the most basic level, the actual mechanics of this game are you have a big open world. There are outposts all across this world. And people need packages delivered between those outposts. Um, and the big open world is full of ravines and crevasses and rocky areas and sandy areas and rivers and everything that you could ever expect um 
in terms of type topography. Yeah. And you are forced to carry packages as a delivery person between those locations. And you can use different tools to do that, uh, that augment your abilities in different ways. Um, and you're also dealing with ghosts that appear in the rain. <laughs> um, you of know, course. yeah, there's a bunch of like weird sci-fi mumbo jumbo, some of which really works. I oh, think, yeah, and totally. some of which is like less effective. Yep. But, also, it's a comment about you restoring the internet to America. Which is bringing America together, but it might not necessarily be a good thing. Well, There's it also led to... to whatever cataclysmic mm-hmm. event removed the internet from America, and everybody lives in underground bunkers and doesn't actually communicate with one another, so you're connecting them, but they still don't actually connect to one another. Uh, so it's got a bunch of stuff it is trying to say, yeah. all in caps. And you know what? Sometimes I really dig it, and sometimes I'm like... It is weird that this dude is so obsessed with America. <laughs> I mean, he is not from here. Yeah, I think that happens with a lot of people, though. No doubt. It's yeah, just a lot kind of, of commentary on America is made by people who are outside of America. I'm with you. What's strange about it is that when you know, like Rockstar Games likes to, they're British and they like to make a lot of games about like American culture filtered through American movies. Yeah. But their stuff is always like kind of satirical, like the outsider's view, like, isn't this kind of weird? This is much more like earnest and like the dream of America needs yes. to be restored. And you're like, what? <laughs> Where are you? It's it's so this is this is hundred percent a post Trump game. This might be oh, the yeah. first game that I can actively think of that is a post Trump video game. It is well, it's it's this game has in a lot of ways for me felt like the first game that has learned from recent games social events like political event, everything is regardless of like how well you think it executes on those yes, things it is informed whether it is well informed is one thing but it is super informed yeah by, like it is things. a comment yeah. on social media it is a comment on the gig economy it is a comment on breath of the wild like <laughs> it, it is the three things <laughs> that matter most to me sort of yes actually yes yes, you are totally right um because like yeah you're doing all of these tasks delivering this stuff for kind of shadowy people who are clearly benefiting more from you doing it than you benefit they're just kind of telling you where to go they give you a map and they map it for you and you just go like okay i'll go to my next plot yeah um and you just do exactly what they say and you are rewarded with likes, and there is a social element where other people who are playing the game are contributing to your world, and you are rewarding each other likes. And it's really weird because, like, I don't really participate in any social media, um, so I never really get likes. And I go on Death Stranding, and I love getting the likes, yeah. and it fires the dopamine like you wouldn't believe to get the likes. You boot it up, and it's just like all these people used a road you built, and you're like, I feel incredible. Yeah, I feel I feel seen. I do. You yeah. you feel like a part I mean, of the society. More, the thing is, the thing that I find really interesting is that more than like I get thousands of likes from roads. Right. Yep. Roads are the best way to get likes in this game. But you can build roads. I should say for yes. those at home, you build roads that kind of make traversing between different locations on the map easier. And other people can use your roads if they're on whatever server you're on. Yeah, and when we say other people, we mean actual other players. The thing that I find most satisfying is when someone uses one of my ropes, or like a ladder. Even more than ladders, ropes, because they are so hard to see, it means that someone was in the exact spot where you were and knew that they, and they needed a rope at that exact moment. Right. They were on the same path. They were on the exact same path. Ropes are harder to see in the environment. Well, you can trigger, if you hit the R1, you see them. 
Yeah, but you don't. You see the little icon, but you don't necessarily see them. I, I mean, I think that just like visually, they are harder to to pick out of the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I I always feel really good when someone likes one of my ropes. Ropes for yeah. whatever reason. Well, the game has so many interesting things because, like, so in Breath of the Wild, uh, that's a game about traversing in a big environment, mm-hmm. but you can climb anything, right? And so you're just like you want to go over this hill and you just go like, I'm going to climb over that hill and you just kind of do it. Like Link is able to move vertically Yeah. in the same way that he is able to move horizontally. He can literally move as the crow flies. Yes. Whereas in this game, if you want to do that, you can set up a ladder or as you've been talking, you can like put a spike in the mountain with a rope if you're up high and then use that to climb down or climb up if somebody already did that. It took me forever to realize that you could climb up ropes. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't realize that yeah. until like a good 20 hours. Well, so game. what's crazy is that you will leave them and the ones that you set up, um, they can be destroyed over time by mm. environmental factors, but like they'll just be there, right? Yeah. And it's funny because like at one point I was, I had done a, like the first mission in the game and I had used a rope to climb down a hill, like a cliff face rather, and I had gone to the place and I had done it. And that was, maybe I did that within the first like 20 minutes of having started the game, right? Mm-hmm. And then like 10 and a half hours later, I was on some other mission that happened to be to a similar place. And I was like blasting across the environment because now I got like robot legs and I'm running. And I came to this cliff face. I was like, oh no, there's a cliff face. And then right there was my rope because I went the same way I did the previous time without even realizing it. And I was like, oh, thanks, former me. Yeah. (laughs) And it's incredible. It is one of the most incredible games I have experienced because it like presents you with the same exact problem as Breath of the Wild, but then says like, no, 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 you're like a guy. Yeah. And that's so interesting. And I used to always describe Dark Souls as being a version of Zelda one where you're not like a hero. You're just a dude. <laughs> and yeah. like, turns out zombies can kill you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this game is like breath of the wild, but you're just a dude. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think that that's one of the most satisfying parts about all of it is that you, um, you are only as strong as your tools more often than not. I mean, you also are very strong. You can carry like 200 kilograms on your back. Well, yeah. And like, so you know, you're getting different abilities and like robot exoskeletons that let mm-hmm. you do more and be more balanced. But like, but you, but you are still, you were vulnerable to the elements like mm-hmm. a real person is. And yeah. I mean, one of my favorite moments that I've experienced in this game is that later on you get to some mountains. I mean, one of my, actually, I should say, like Breath of the Wild, when I first started playing this game, I was looking around, looking at mountains in the distance. And I was like, it'd be cool if this were like Breath of the Wild where you could just like climb that mountain if you wanted to. And I just assume that you couldn't. No, you do. You do. You can. Yeah. And the environments are enormous. They're huge. It's always much bigger than you think it is. It it appears to be much smaller. Yes. And there is a strange difference between Breath of the Wild and this, where Breath of the Wild is very much encouraging you to pursue very dangerous-looking cliff faces and yes. stuff. This game, it's like... It feels smaller than it is because when you look at stuff like that, you go, well, there's just no way. I mean, the distance, the the whole mapping of distances between places is very smart, the same way that Breath of the Wild did yes. that. Um, sight lines are always very interesting it's in incredible. this game. But anyway, there's a moment, talking about sight lines, there's a moment when I was walking along in this the snowy peak of a mountain. And of course, when you're up that high, there's cliff edges everywhere. And I 
because of like a whiteout, I couldn't see in front of me. And I was genuinely terrified of stepping off the side of a cliff because I couldn't see well enough. Yeah. So I was like constantly kind of like spamming the, um, I was taking incremental steps and spamming the like thing that tells you like the terrain to make sure that I wasn't going near a cliff's edge. And it was, it was legitimately like, it was nerve wracking and astounding. And I was, I had never had an experience where something like that had been represented in a game before. I, yes. And it was just stellar. Yeah. The feeling of it is unlike anything else I've ever felt. It genuinely makes me feel emotional when I'm, it just feels like struggling to walk over something difficult. Like it is so outside of other video games. Like, I, I guess I understand where this game is polarizing and it is very polarizing. Yeah. Like, Everyone that I talked to, or I've talked to about this game, who um, has not played it, has said, "Yeah, people hate that game, don't they?" Yes, and it has gotten very negative responses. And I critically, it has been well, well regarded for the down, most part. Up and down. I mean, it's had well, it's been polarizing again. But the majority of critics, I think, have been supporting it, which I don't think has actually helped its case. And anyway, what were you going to say? Like, you find that it's understandable. Like, I think it is understandable in that I guess that. <sighs> I remember I, I saw some criticism like I don't even know it could have just been some dude on Reddit but it's just like why do they give you a motorcycle there are so many rocks you can't even drive it and it's like well yeah but that's why it's important to build roads for other people like yeah. everything you're doing is a decision right it's like do you want to go as the crow flies do you want to drive drive on the road like do you care about speed or do you care about the amount of stuff you deliver like you are making decisions based on the terrain at any given moment. You were playing a character yes. that you were establishing, and that, that character's decisions are largely about, like, how do I want to traverse this space? And am I the kind of person who wants to deliver a bunch of packages, or do I just want to get the important packages through? Exactly. And there's just a lot of stuff like that where I feel like I get if you don't like it, kind of, but I think that it is almost insane to me that somebody who likes video games as a medium would not appreciate this game. Like, Mm. I think that this is so clearly to me a incredible use of video games as a technology. Yeah. Um, And something that... uh, So I recently... Tim Rogers says Kojima. Apparently that's correct. Mm. I would believe Tim Rogers. Yeah, he knows Japanese. (laughs) He lived in Japan for a while. I Um, think he knows Kojima. Yeah, I think he does. But anyways, Hideo. something that dude has done in his video games, uh, back to, I mean, I guess even Metal Gear Solid 1, but especially I remember it in MGS3, the PlayStation 2 had pressure-sensitive buttons, mm. and he did a thing where it's like when you put somebody in a headlock, if you like soft-press the button, they'd be in a headlock, and if you hard-pressed it, you'd snap their neck. And I always thought it was pretty neat because it mimicked your experience as a player where it's like if things were tense and you kind of weren't paying attention and you weren't careful you could just like pop somebody's neck by accident right yes if you were like stressed and that ruins your your no kill playthrough yeah and your goal is not to kill so you could get into these situations where you were because you were stressed there was a very fine line between like what you wanted to do and it being a similar motion to something that was just like over the line right yeah and this game really plays on that too, where the joysticks are, there is no dead zone. And the difference between walking and running, it's like the whole play of the joystick is making a difference in the 
speed your character moves. It's not like I push it a little and there's his walk speed and I push it a little further and he's running. It's like a totally granular journey all the way up to sprint. And so you have to really feather that stick when you're going down steep inclines. Yes. And it's, it's incredible. When you lose control, similar to the um, headlock thing, when yeah. you lose control or when you're stressed, it is easy to just panic yeah. and spasm. The same way when you are out of control of your own body, when the, the, the your center of gravity tips too high, you basically are just panicking and just doing anything to keep yourself up. Right. And it's like and that you, feeling you that, yeah, of stumbling is perfectly captured. And what you realize is like, oh, what I need to do is like your response in a lot of ways is kind of just like slam the stick forward sometimes. Yeah. And it's like, no, you actually just want to like pull it back, but not even just like snap it back to center. You want to like ease. ease it back to center and you won't fall over. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing a lot of hand gestures here. It's no, I I agree. This game is supremely satisfying because there is it is also very satisfying to catch yourself before you fall. Oh, it's awesome. Um, or when you start like sliding down the edge of a cliff face mm-hmm. to like be able to catch yourself really quickly mm-hmm. so that you're not like going all the way to the bottom. And and so it does that where it's like you feel like the most pitiful person, right? Yeah. And then it also, I got these robot legs and you can double jump with them. Yes. And I was being pursued. Yeah. And there's this crevasse in front of me, and I'm just sprinting toward it. And you double jump like this enormous gap while you're being pursued by these other couriers who want your packages. And you don't know. You're like, I hope I can make this. I hope I can make this. I did that too, and I like held my breath. Yeah. And it was it was stunning. I barely made it. Right. And you just clip onto the other side because like this is not like Mario 64. You don't grab the edge, dude. You just fall and you are losing your packages. And you you currently weigh like 400 kilos or something. And your packages, if they fall, become damaged, and people don't want to receive damaged packages. You're just delivering Amazon packages across the wasteland and it's messed up and awesome. You can pee. You can pee. You can choose to pee at any point. It's great. It is also just like it's it's beautiful to look at. It's incredible. It looks wonderful. It's um, incredible. Beautiful colors, just beautiful landscape. The it music is, is astonishing and cheesy. Yes, it is if you like Bonnie Bear, like this is like the most like folksy rate Radiohead. Yes, like it just. But the needle drops are excellently placed. So, it knows exactly yeah. when to give it to you. And I love that you can just listen to music in your house. So whenever yeah. you go to your room, you can just like put on a song, and I put on like terrible rock music. There is this element that Kojima is very good at doing. He's been doing it for games in a long time by letting you sometimes control the camera during cutscenes. Yeah. Where he allows you to be the director, mm-hmm. and this the the whole like um, you're walking down on a story mission, you're walking back to base, and it gives you the song starts playing, and then you can go as fast or as slow as you want. You can pan the camera around. You again are the director. Mm-hmm. You it allows you to be a film director in a video game for a little while, and to feel and to make the swell, you know, yep. swell. You know, yeah. it's so. So satisfying. We haven't even talked about the fact that about a quarter of this game is cutscenes that are directed like movies that are anime, and they kind of suck, and they're kind of good, and I can't tell. Sometimes, yeah. It's like sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. Um, they're front-loaded, certainly. I and think, so I from think, what I've heard, I think they're also back-loaded. I believe that. Yeah. But I also think that that's why a lot of people were turned off, because a lot of that stuff at the upfront can be kind of just but People dumb. talk about how the first 10 hours of this game are rough. I think I that's disagree. weird. I had a great time. I think time. they're fantastic. Yeah, yeah, no, I loved it. Believe me, like, I think this game is incredible. I think that this game, without a doubt, feels like I actually wanted this generation of video games to feel. 
Mm-hmm. It it made me realize just how few new games came out this generation. Yes, yeah. In a way, um, it's just like here's something that's not a sequel. You have never seen anything like this before, and guess what? It looks insane. Like you genuinely feel when you're playing it, like this, and it feels kind of low budget. Like it doesn't have a day night cycle. It feels very mid budget. There's like nobody around in the world, kind yeah. of. There sometimes are, but, and there sometimes aren't. But he's very. I love when you do see oh, random others, though, great. because it, it's only happened to me like three times in the entire game. Oh, really? Yes. I see him a lot. I've only seen other um, other people like three times. Oh, I see a lot of the other couriers, like the other the, the NPC couriers. Yes, the NPC I see them couriers. a lot. I remember seeing some coming down. Uh, like snowy slope while I was heading in the opposite direction mm-hmm. and the one thing that I was like I wish I had a button to like wave you can yell out will they respond though yeah they'll oh, give okay. you packages and stuff oh really yeah oh I didn't know that if you use the if you if you use the yell yeah you'll wave to them and they'll wave back and they'll stop and they'll like you'll interact with them oh I didn't realize that yeah, yeah I've only ever just like passed them no no and, like from a distance I've never gone I wonder so they'll like give you a package maybe to deliver or something yeah. if you if you talk to them but I wonder, it just occurred to me, I wonder if you were just a mercenary insane person if you started like hog-tying those dudes and taking stuff like what that would do. Oh, 100%. Game. But I oh, wonder I what would, it would do. I wonder, yeah, if that would be reflected. Overall. I bet that you would get chastised. I bet it wouldn't do something significant, but I guarantee you that there's something in there where you're like chastised by dead man. Something would happen, I think. Or die hard man or whatever. I wonder. Yeah. It is a cool video game if you have a playstation 4 and you like video games you should get this game because i don't i'm and maybe maybe i'm crazy but i don't know what else i want from games other than to have people who are like i had this crazy idea for an experience that you could not replicate anywhere else and i will make it possible for you to feel that way physically feel that way through a video game it's like that's why i want video games to exist man that's the whole point why aren't we doing this all the time yeah it's a really good game. It's a really good game.